Grab your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 as we continue to follow Christ as he calls us to follow him through the Gospels. So Mark chapter 2, we're going to be looking at uh, verses 13 to 17 uh, this morning. But let me begin by asking you this while you're turning there. Are there certain types of people in this world, certain types of groups maybe even, uh, people that you would rather not come in contact with? People that you would rather not be around. So when you turn on the TV or you look at your phone and you see the news of the day and you hear of another stabbing on the sea train or you hear of another gang shooting in the Northeast, you hear of another overdose in the streets, another mass shooting in California this past week, another terror attack somewhere in the world. How does your heart respond to those news stories? How does your heart respond to those people in those news stories? Specifically, those who are committing the crimes. Just think about it. These addicts, street people, thieves, criminals, Murderers, even terrorists, does, does your heart boil up in anger towards those people? Love the story of John Kelly we just watched. He, he was a thug. He was a delinquent. He was a drug dealer. He was a thief. He was a, a criminal. And he was charged with being involved in a murder because they were trying to rob a drug dealer and his friend shot him and he died. And he was put in prison. A sentence was 6 to 20 years. Uh, He was just another typical thug on the streets in Philadelphia. One of the hopeless many, as we would often think. Um, But God's abundant mercy and grace meets him. Meets him at his lowest point in confinement, in solitary confinement in prison. And completely transforms his life. The power of the gospel. The power of God's word. We're going to see that here today. So just think about your heart and how you think about those people, those people that you would not rather be around, those people that you think maybe aren't even worth your time, people that are just too far gone that they can't even receive the gospel. Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. He went out again beside the sea. That's Jesus. And all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus loves to save sinners. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to to open your word today. 
to open your God-breathed words. We thank you that your words speak right to our hearts. Every Sunday, every Sunday, you speak clearly. Your spirit implants your word into our hearts and causes transformation. Your word in the hands of your spirit produces repentance and faith that leads to life. And so we thank you for that this morning again, that we get the privilege, and it is such an amazing privilege to open the words that you have spoken to us, the Lord of the universe, and that you use it to grow us for your kingdom's sake and for your glory. Help us to understand it and help us to respond in faith this morning. We ask in the name of Christ. So one thing that's been clear throughout uh, the book of Mark already, this gospel of Mark, and, and throughout all of Scripture is that Jesus loves to save sinners. Over and over again, we see that Jesus loves to save sinners. He loves to heal spiritual lepers. He loves to forgive spiritual paralyt- paralytics like last week. And we're going to see in our text today that he loves to save traitors. He loves to save the despised, the hater, the hated. He loves to save the vilest members of society. And he's still doing that today. And so by Christ's example today, you and I are going to be challenged. We're going to be challenged to look at ourselves, to look at our own hearts, our own perspectives towards those who may be despised, those who may be unlovable. And we're going to examine our approach to reaching them. And we're going to see that his way is the better way. His way is the right way. We're going to see that the gospel of Jesus Christ is unconditional, it is impartial, and it is authentic. And it is the only way. And because it's the only way, like we just read, the first point this morning is going to be this, that that you need to go out of your way. You need to go out of your way. The unconditional gospel transforms the vilest of sinners. Verse 13, he went out again. Jesus went out again beside the sea. And all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. That's what we have on our, on our banner for the, the book of Mark, is follow me. That's the theme in the book of Mark. And what does he do? He gets up, he rose, and he followed him. So this text begins where the the paralytic left off. Remember, Jesus was teaching the word. Peter's house was so full of people, they couldn't even get close to the door. And after the forgiveness and the healing of this paralyzed man, the news of Jesus Christ again began to spread. Even more so, causing Jesus to now move out out to a broader place to teach. He needed more room. Verse 13, he went out again by the sea. Open space to be teaching. And all the crowd was coming to him. And what was he doing? Jesus is always teaching, right? There's there's healing, there's forgiveness, but there's always teaching. He's teaching them the gospel, which is what? What What is the gospel? So that's going to be our little quiz here to start off this morning. We've seen Jesus in his gospel, uh, what he's been preaching already. So this is a little quiz for you up on the screen. I want you to fill in the words with me as we go. 
It comes from chapter 1, verse 15. So Jesus came into all of Galilee proclaiming the gospel, saying, The time is, the time is what? Near, fulfilled, okay. And the kingdom of God is, tent. I'll thank our, our guys in the back for that one. So they're helping you along. So, but this is the key, guys. This is the key to the gospel. What is it? Repent and believe in the gospel. Love that. He was teaching the word of God, calling every last soul in the crowd to, to believe, to repent of their sin and to believe in the good news of Jesus Christ, that the Messiah is here, the Messiah has come. And then he, we see here abruptly in verse 14, we see Jesus now going back to the town of Capernaum. And it says that he passed by somebody. It says, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. So now in straight reading of this, 2,000 years later today, we really don't get the force of what's going on here. We really don't get even this irony that's going on here. We see Jesus, he's already called four fishermen. They've, they've left their lives, they've left their nets, they left their livelihoods, and they followed him. And so as we look at this, Jesus coming to a tax collector, we just think that Jesus is adding to his numbers. He's just adding somebody else, right? And he's adding Levi, this tax collector. So what's the big deal? What's the big deal with a tax collector? Does it mean something more? Or is Jesus just adding to his numbers? And so this is where it comes to studying your Bible. It does take some work. It takes some work to discover the deeper meaning. We are separated by 2,000 years and by culture and by distance. We need to be asking the text what it meant to the original audience, right? This was an original Jewish audience. We need to ask the text what it, ask the text what it meant for them before we can apply what it means to us. And so we see that there was an original Jewish first century audience. They would have readily understood the scandal of this tax collector. You see, tax collectors in the time of the Roman occupation were the most vile, they were the most hated people in town. Rome was in control of the land and they had this enforced taxation to fund their armies, to fund the navies, to fund the empire and the emperor, to pay for those Roman roads that were being built and these magnificent water systems. And so each district would have a tax collector who would bid for the job of collecting the taxes for Rome. And they would have a minimum quota that they would have to be, have to be met, or met per the district and then outside of that, the tax collector would make his own money. So whatever was on top of that was his. And so do you see a problem with that? They would get a little bit greedy. Very greedy. Tax collectors were known for collecting far above the quota and keeping the profit for themselves. And through this, they afflicted great oppression against the everyday Jewish citizen. And then we come to Levi. So this is a tax collector, but this tax collector's name is Levi. It says the tax collector's name is Levi, son of Alphaeus, which means that he's not a Roman citizen. Most tax collectors 
We're Roman citizens. This was not a Roman citizen. His name was Levi, and it was a Jewish name. Tax collectors were often Roman citizens, but Levi was a Jew. He was a Hebrew. He was a local. He was the son of Alphaeus. And he would have been seen as this traitor, a traitor to his own people, selling his soul out to Rome for the greed of money. One who betrayed his heritage, who betrayed his people, who betrayed his culture. One commentator says, when a Jew entered the customs service, the tax collection service, he was regarded as an outcast from society. He was disqualified as a judge or a witness in a court session. He was excommunicated from the synagogue. In the eyes of the community, his disgrace would extend also to his family. So so this Jewish tax collector would have disgraced his whole entire family. He would have alienated them from society. Pretty bad. And you think that, that we hate the CRA, right? We hate the tax men. Levi would be more like the sheriff of Nottingham than a pencil pusher in Ottawa. He would have been hated. He would have been the lowest of the low in the eyes of Jewish society. He would have been hated more than anyone else. And yet we see the Lord of the universe, Jesus Christ himself, goes out to Levi and calls him. Calls him to himself. He says, follow me. Follow me. Just like those other four disciples And what do we see Levi do? Levi rises out of his tax booth, gets up, and starts to follow Jesus. The call of Christ knows no partiality. The call of Christ doesn't discriminate along lines of social status or position or race or anything. In fact, if if anything, what we see over and over in Scripture is that Jesus calls the lowly. He calls the base. He calls those whose sin is is so evident, whose brokenness is, is worn on their sleeves, those who are sick and tired of themselves, sick and tired of their sin, those who are ready to repent. They see their own brokenness. They're not those that are just hiding it. It is evident. So Psalm 51 helps us here. Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. That's the kind of people that God is looking for. Those who understand their own brokenness. Those who understand their own depravity. Those who know that they are spiritually bankrupt. This tax collector, this hated man, Levi, he has obviously heard about Jesus already. This isn't the first time he would have met him. He would have heard this message going out through all of Galilee already. He would have known what Jesus is about. And so it comes time for Jesus to call him to himself. And he rises out of his tax booth. He rises out of his sin. And he is born again by the good news of the Savior. And he walks away from his sinful state. 
Just think about it. He walks away from lucrative greed, walking away from money. This is a picture of true repentance, walking away from the desires of the flesh. And what we're seeing here, what we see here is that this isn't just a verbal assent to who Christ is. He doesn't just follow him for a time. This is evidence of real, true transformation. This once-hated tax collector has been forever changed. And he follows Jesus all the rest of his days. How do we know this? Because Levi is Matthew. That's his Greek name. He's Matthew, the disciple, Matthew, the apostle, the writer of the gospel of Matthew. He has been forever changed. Friends, this is the power of the gospel. To change the most hated, the most vile, the most wicked, and transform them into a saint. The unconditional gospel transforms the vilest of sinners. And so if you are an unbeliever here this morning, You need to know this glorious truth. You need to know that even though that you might think that you are unlovable, that you are too horrible, that you have committed too much sin, that you have done too many bad things, that there's no way a God could forgive me. You need to know this. You need to listen carefully. Jesus loves to transform sinners. He loves to transform the vilest of sinners. Because the gospel can transform the most wicked soul. There is no amount of sin that cannot be covered by the saving grace of God. He wants to transform your heart so that you can become a true Christ follower of him. That's his goal, so that you would bring God glory through your transformation. He came from heaven to save you. He went out of his way to come and save you. And so for those who who don't know him, or those who don't know if they know him, those who aren't sure, know this. The gospel can transform your wicked soul. And those who are Christians here can testify, God has transformed our wicked souls, transformed ourselves. And so we call on you today, on behalf of the grace of God, to turn away From your sin, like Levi, turn away from the sin, the greedy sin that keeps you entrapped in this world, and follow the Lord. Christians, church family, the question for us is this like Jesus, are we going out of our way? Are we going out of our way to pursue the vilest of sinners? Are we going out of our way to the dregs of society, those who are unlovable, those who are the outcast? Are we going to them in love and calling them to repent? Do we believe that the gospel can truly transform the vilest of sinners? Or do we believe that those people are too far gone, that they are unreachable? that they aren't worth our time. Maybe they make us too uncomfortable. Maybe we're afraid of them. 
Friends, that video we just watched shows us the power of the gospel to save. What we just read shows us the power of the gospel to transform. That young man, John Kelly, he was in prison because of his own sinful greed. And it led to murder. And he was incarcerated and, and he was outcast. But the grace of God found him. The power of the gospel has now fully transformed him. He is now a godly man. He is so different than what he was. I've, I've met him per- personally as part of my training. One of the kindest, most gentlest, godly souls that I met in Chicago. What's beautiful now is he's one of our pastors within our fellowship. Uh, Chicago West Church, he pastors that church. And, and he's now going out of his way to reach those in his neighborhood, those who are just like him, or who were just like him. He pursues the lost. That's what the gospel does. And so, friends, we need to go out of our way. The unconditional gospel transforms the vilest of sinners. Believe it. If you truly believe it, you would go out of your way. And as Levi rises from his tax booth, he follows his Savior. He is so overjoyed at his salvation. He's so full of joy that he is freed from his old sinful self that he can now walk in newness of life with Christ that he throws a party. He throws a banquet. It's time to celebrate with the angels. It's time to celebrate actually with his old friends and he wants to share the good news of his transformation with them. Verse 15, as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. So many tax collectors and sinners and many who followed Jesus. What we're going to see here is that as, as much as we need to go out of our way, we also need to get out of our way. Get out of your way. The impartial gospel leads to multiplication. This group we see with Jesus, we see him hanging out with people of disrepute. They are not the pillars of society. They're not the kind of people that you would be okay hanging out with. Levi, this despised traitor of the people, this greedy extortionist, they were Levi's sphere of influence. They were his friends. You know that saying, misery loves company. It's a timeless truth that we see, and it was alive and well in Levi's time, and it's alive and well today. Criminals find great affinity with criminals. And in their affinity for one another, they even have community. They have shared interests. They have shared vices. They have shared evil desires. They accept one another. And so we see Levi here bringing his friends. And as he experienced this incredible transformation of salvation, who does he think of first? Who does he desire to come and taste and see that the Lord is good? He thinks of his friends. 
those who are still held captive in their sin, those full of evil desire, he wants them to come to their own life-transforming conversion. He wants them to find life in Jesus Christ. He doesn't keep the news to himself. He invites them to come in contact with the one who has changed him. And so he holds a banquet. And we see them dining together here. Uh, The ESV and the NASB versions, they translate this rightly by saying that they were reclining at table. Which is a little different than how we eat together. We don't really recline at table. Um, They would have been laying on their sides on a mat. Their, Their heads would have been towards the table and their feet outside of that. What's going on here is really the epitome of social fellowship. This was great celebration when we do this. They were reclining at table. And so I've asked Sue when we have our, um, our Christmas banquet coming up, we're not going to have chairs, right? We're just going to have mats and we're going to be reclining at tables celebrating. No, we're going to have chairs. But they were reclining, showing this great ritual of celebration with one another. They were embracing each other as friends. And so we see Jesus, the Lord of the universe, reclining, having close intimate fellowship with the dregs of society. Tax collectors and sinners. Now the term sinners was used by the Pharisees and the scribes to label a certain group of people who would not conform to their religious system. These kind of people, uh, they love their sin too much, and they would walk away from the whole Jewish religious system. And so they were labeled sinners. They would have been thieves. They would have been thugs. They would have been prostitutes. They would have been drunkards. They would have been people that we would equate today with your common criminal, a meth addict, or a drug dealer or even a prostitute, or a stripper, or a social deviant. Basically, anyone who trades their normal societal responsibility for the lure of sinful temptation, and they live in it. They give themselves completely over to it. But Jesus, the pure and the righteous, the undefiled, the sinless Savior, embraces them embraces them as worthy of hearing his message. You see them reclining at table. There would have been lots of time for conversation. Jesus would have been teaching them the good news. He would have been sharing the gospel with them. That they no longer have to submit to the captivity of sin, but that they could walk away from that and they could be freed from that. Sometimes in your sin, you feel that you are entrapped forever. Jesus' truth is that that is not true. Through him, you can have freedom. You can be free indeed. And so we see him spending time with them, showing mercy to them, embracing them, sharing a table of celebration with them. Then it says there were many who followed him. So many sinners and tax collectors and many who followed Jesus. This is multiplication, disciple making. 
We see the testimony of, of Levi's transformation leads others to receive salvation as well. As, and we've got to remember here, Jesus' disciples are watching this, right? The four, they're watching this. Remember, as they watch, we watch, we're learning what it means to be a disciple. We're watching the Savior, so they're watching Jesus. They're learning what it means to love the world. They're learning that the gospel is impartial, that the gospel is for all, that the testimony of transformation in one person can multiply to many because that's what the gospel does. This is how it spreads. The message of salvation is married with unconditional love in people's lives are transformed. unconditional love. It's a, it's a powerful tool in the hands of God. We need to embrace that. So as we look at ourselves, maybe the biggest obstacle in our own mission, in our own witness, is ourselves. Maybe we have a lack of love for the unlovable Maybe we are the biggest enemies to the gospel because we're selfish with our gospel. It's good enough for us, but it's not good enough for them. We don't share it. And second, we don't selflessly give ourselves away to the unlovely. And so we need to get out of our way. We need to get out of our way because the impartial gospel will lead to lives being changed. It will lead to multiplication. There was a book written back in 2012. It's entitled, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. Written by a lady named Rosaria Butterfield. And it's an amazing testimony how God has saved her through the truth of his word combined with selfless love and friendship. Rosaria considered herself an unlikely convert because of her chosen lifestyle. You see, Rosaria, she was an outspoken atheist. She was a lesbian professor, and she was a journalist bent on criticizing right-wing Christianity. Rosaria shared her home and her bed with her lesbian partner. She, she drove a truck with pro-LGBTQ stickers and, and women's liberation stickers on it. She embraced this alternative lifestyle, and she promoted it. She grew up as a Catholic, but she hated the church. And so she set out in her job to write an article to tear down Christianity. She wanted to expose the fake falseness of Christianity. And in that process, she came in contact with a pastor. He wrote a letter to her. He wasn't repelled by her. He didn't run from her. He wrote her a letter and brought some poignant questions to her mind about the reality of God and his love for her. And she couldn't shake it loose. And then this pastor and his wife invited her to his home, and they would pray for her, they would feed her, they would treat her like family. They embraced her as a person. They weren't afraid of her. 
And over a period of a couple years of, of loving her, taking her to church, singing with her, praying with her, this social lesbian activist was transformed into a disciple of Christ. She says in her book, Had a pastor named Ken Smith not shared the gospel with me for years and years and over and over again, not in some used car salesman way, but in an organic, spontaneous, and compassionate way, those questions might still be lodged in the crevices of my mind, and I might never have met the most unlikely of friends, Jesus Christ himself. So you see this, the truth of the gospel being married to to selfless love and the work that God does through that. And so she has since walked away from her lesbian lifestyle. She is now married to a pastor and she is raising a family and she goes out and shares this story with the world. That you no longer have to be entrapped by your sin. You can have freedom. And she has been completely transformed. And it is multiplying. Her story is multiplying into other people. The impartial gospel leads to multiplication. So we see here Christ not only sharing his message, but sharing his life. And so you and I need to look at that and say to ourselves, we need to get out of our own way. We need to welcome his grace to open our hearts to love those who we wouldn't normally run to. Those who actually repel us. Unlike Levi, the wicked souls can be transformed by God in order to be used by him to change more and more people. That's the way God does it. To save the outcast and multiply his mission. And so let me ask you, are you standing in the way of this? Are you too afraid to love the worst of sinners? Are we too apathetic? Are we too busy? Do we not get out of our way? Are we afraid? So friends, I am concerned that we, and I include myself in this, that I am afraid that I don't engage the lost around us enough. Because why? Because I don't love them enough. In fact, I believe that some of us even despise those people. Even though we don't say it on the outside in our hearts, we look at them and we wonder what they're doing and we think they're too far gone. And our repulsion overrules our sympathy and we are blinded by their unattractiveness and we lose sight of the greatest need that they have. And we come to our own preconceived ideas and our own judgments of their condition. That they are unreachable. Or that it's somebody else's job. It's not my job. Have we removed the welcome mats from our lives and put up stop stop signs in place? I think in many ways we have. So let's ask ourselves, when's the last time that we have invited an unbeliever into our life? When's the last time we had somebody that is unlovable in our homes to serve them and to love them with gospel motivation? When's the last time that we reached outside of our comfort zone to someone who doesn't look like us, who doesn't sound like us, 
Take a check of your guest list over the last two years in your home. Has there been people in your home that you wouldn't normally invite into your home? Would your guest list primarily can include Christians? Yes, we need to gather, and we love to do that. But we need to be reaching out, bringing the lost into our lives. The unbelieving into our homes. The unlovable, the unlikely. What about the atheist? What about that foul-mouthed co-worker? What about the homosexual woman or man or transgender person you see on the train? What about that street person? What about that lost family member who you have written off? That addict? What about those criminals? Now, obviously, we have to be safe, right? We have to protect our families, right? We get that. We need to do that. But the point is, is that we cannot just love those people who look like me, those people who sound like me, just those Christians. We need to be reaching out into the dark world and bringing people into our lives. And so let's do a heart check. Let's do a heart check about that. Let's repent of our apathy, repent of our fear, and truly trust that the gospel can transform through the message and through our love. So just this past week in small groups, we had a question, right? We had a challenge to one another. Who are three people in your life that need to hear the gospel? Three people in your sphere of influence who need to hear the gospel, and they need to hear it through you. We continue that challenge. Now, out of those three people, is there somebody that you just don't want to talk to? You would rather not be around them. Repent of that. Turn from that. Ask God to open the grace into your heart so that you can love that person. And challenge yourself and challenge each other to be going, to be making disciples. It's not about growing a church. It's about growing the kingdom of God. So that's our challenge again this week. Let's, let's not just nod our heads in agreement, right? Let's take action with our feet. I think I said last week, faith is proven by the moving of feet. Real gospel action is motivated by this testimony of Jesus and Levi here today. That we need to be vulnerable, we need to open our lives, and we need to do this for the glory of God. Remember what our primary occupation is. It's not your job, right? Your job is not your primary occupation. In fact, your your primary occupation is actually not your family. It's not your home. It's not even your marriage. Your primary occupation in this life is to be a fisher of men, right? That's to the glory of God. That is our mission. And as we look at our lives, we've got to see where is the mission? Is my faith being proven by my feet? So if you're a Christian, we have a saying here at Redemption. We want to live to see the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of God. And so we see that here in the example of Jesus and Levi, that you and I need to go out of our way. And then we see in this last point here that we also need to abandon our way. So go out of your way, get out of your way, and abandon your way. The authentic gospel confronts self-righteousness. 
Verse 16, and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he, Jesus, was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. As we all know from the rest of Christ's earthly life, The scribes and the Pharisees would have their ears to the ground. They would be watching every move that he would make. They were sniffing him out. And last week, we've seen that Jesus himself, in forgiving the paralytic, claimed to be God, the only one who has forgiven her, has the authority to forgive sins on earth. And now these Pharisees and these scribes, they see this man who claims to be God, and now he's cohorting with sinners and tax collectors. What's going on here? Remember, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were experts in the Mosaic law. But they also added hundreds of their own laws. Hundreds of laws that they piled up upon their people upon society to ensure that they would be truly righteous. But when you look at their laws, it was just ways to get around the true law. What's really happening is that these laws are now being imposed on Jesus Christ, these man-made laws, these rules that were created, and that Jesus was somehow breaking God's standard. They were adding all these restrictions, but they were missing the real reason for the law of God. The law is meant to point to your spiritual bankruptcy. God's word is meant to be a mirror to show us who he is and show us who we aren't. They were missing the point. They considered themselves to be the holy ones. They were looking down their noses on the rest of the world. They're the ones that Jesus would later call whitewashed tombs. Clean on the outside, dirty and dead on the inside. And so these scribes and these Pharisees, they heard of Jesus reclining at table with these sinners and these tax collectors. They considered this to be unclean. This was prohibited. You would never see a rabbi do this. This is something that they would never do. And so they began to question Their questions were meant to trap. Their questions were meant to discredit who Jesus claimed to be. And they ask his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? But Jesus doesn't even let his disciples answer. He doesn't give in to their condemnation, but rather he turns the tables on them. And he reveals the evil intent in their hearts. Verse 17, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This was a spiritual throat punch to the Pharisees and the scribes. These guys that were supposed to be the guardians of the scriptures, these men who were supposed to minister God's merciful and gracious word, Jesus exposes their hate, exposes their darkness, exposes their hypocrisy and their self-righteousness. That they miss the whole point of what it means to be a child of God. 
he exposes that they don't understand the message of the Bible. They don't understand that it's all of grace. That they believe somehow in their own efforts in law keeping, they can be righteous. That is an anti-gospel. That is not the truth. And so we see that he uses an analogy here, a medical analogy to drive his point home. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. People who are healthy don't go to the emergency room. People who don't see any sign of sickness, they don't go and see their doctor. What he's calling out here is their self-righteousness. Somehow they think that they are healthy. They think that they are spiritually alive in their own strength. They think that they are holy because of some external obedience. They think that they are holier than thou. That they are more worthy of salvation than those tax collectors and those sinners, those outcasts. Friends, the Pharisees have forgotten their own depravity. And they are further from God than the tax collector. They are further from God than the criminal. They are further from God than the prostitute and the murderer and those who readily see their sin. Those whose sin sickness is right before their eyes. And he says to them, I came not to call the righteous but sinners. You think that you are righteous. I've come to call sinners. Jesus loves to save sinners. He's calling the Pharisees to abandon their way. Abandon the way of self-righteousness. Abandon this false belief that you can earn God's favor by your outward behavior. We can't. We cannot earn God's grace that's the whole reason it's grace. It's something that cannot be earned. And so by example of the Pharisees, in Christ's response to them, he's calling you and I to abandon our way. We may tend to fall in this pharisaical trap as well. That somehow it's by my own efforts, it's by my own deeds, it's by my own conceived goodness that, that I can earn God's grace. So when it comes down to the sinners and the Pharisees in the story, which one are you? Which one are you? Are you the vilest of criminals? Or are you spiritually healthy in your own efforts? Are you like the Pharisees who look down your nose at the world around you? Do you retreat into your own kingdom of self-righteousness? Do you have sympathy towards those who are like who you once were? Do you look at yourself in the mirror and remember that you were lost, you were wicked, you were in need of saving grace? Have you forgotten that you were once a hater of God, that you once lived in the passions of your flesh, that your heart was once a stone that couldn't change itself? God had to take that stone out and replace it with a heart of flesh so that you could believe. 
Do you forget that gracious intervention? Have you forgotten your own unrighteous worthiness of eternal punishment? I love 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But verse 11 says, and such were some of you. Such were some of you. Such were some of me. That's who we were, but we've been transformed. It says the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom. That's right. The righteous will. But it's not a righteousness of our own. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Have we forgotten this? Have we forgotten this grace? That it is grace alone. That you were the most reviled. You were the most wicked. And like Paul would even say, he was the chiefest of sinners. We need to remember who we were and now also think about who we are. Let that overwhelming love of God move you. Run to Christ's righteousness. Abandon your own way. Jesus loves to save sinners, but he rejects self-righteousness. He loves saving you from yourself. And so motivated by grace, informed by his word, empowered by his spirit, join him on his mission. Join him on this mission of love for the vilest of sinners of which we all once were. So we need to get out of our way. We need to go out of our way. We need to abandon our way. This, this is the unconditional. This is the impartial. This is the authentic gospel. Let's pray.